You ready for a great word? Amen. You see, uh, George Lucas sold that franchise to Disney for about $2 billion. And this weekend, uh, they're anticipating raking in about $200 million in this last episode. So I want you to stand for the reading of God's word and get some perspective here on what God has to say about war in the heavenlies. Merry Christmas. God said, this is war. And John wrote, then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. And you have the two entities in both significant moments, the birthing and then this next event. I saw a large dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. He and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. So, Father, thank you for revealed truth from your perspective. Thank you that you've had a perspective as well as the one that you helped us to receive when Jesus was born. And now, as we gain insight, Holy Spirit, reveal what we need to hear and apply. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I like the Star Wars movies, but that does not mean that I think they have correct theology, because they don't. The force is not the same as the God of the Bible. And yes, there are definite Hindu and Buddhist concepts that have been thrown into the mixture of these episodes. But we can use Star Wars to help people understand Christianity. In the culture where the majority now of Americans are biblically illiterate by actual polling, The appeal of the Star Wars movies, they speak to us on a deep level about important themes. Good versus evil, forgiveness, courage, virtue. They emphasize faith, hope, and love. If the Apostle Paul were around today, I suspect he'd be over at Cinemark watching Star Wars. Why? He'd be collecting material for his next message. Because he was always relevant to his audience. In fact, he wrote it like this. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some, 1 Corinthians 9, because the value of a soul is worth getting the message through to that person. He spoke the language of his culture without ever watering down the message or his morals. Jesus, the master teacher, always used relevant cultural themes to speak eternal truth to people. We call them parables. And so we see the grand theme of God reconciling mankind to himself in the book of Revelation that's given to John. Let me give you a synopsis 
of what the book of Revelation is about. The apostle John, to whom Jesus reveals the revelation, was faithful to Jesus through many trials. After being instructed to follow after Jesus, John left behind his old life and followed the Lord. The Roman Empire, on the other hand, attempted to kill John by boiling him in oil. John was miraculously unharmed, and it shocked the empire. So they exiled John to the Isle of Patmos to be rid of his influence. That's what they would do with insurgents like this. And during John's isolation and exile on Patmos, Jesus gave the book of Revelation to John, a book that depicts the greatness of Jesus Christ. Revelation's setting is not only focused upon earth or heaven, but through vivid imagery, the Revelation depicts the power of Jesus Christ. The description of Jesus Christ in Revelation shows that Jesus is no ordinary person. Jesus is the galactic Christ and King of Kings. The Christ of Revelation is the one who alone can sustain the church and win the war against the adversary, Satan. Jesus' birth is a galactic war story. The story of Jesus in the manger is only one side of what happened when Christ was born. Revelation shows us a direction and a perspective from God, a side of Jesus' birth that depicts great pain and drama as Christ is being born. The devil was waiting for a chance to destroy the Christ child. This is what the book of Revelation's story is about. The child depicted is the promised Messiah. Revelation shows that the baby in the manger was no ordinary baby. The child born in Bethlehem is the Messiah who was prophesied to come to redeem the world. It's the child we see in the Revelation who ultimately will crush the devil. Now, at first glance, it may seem that there's no way the Messiah can defeat the devil. In the Revelation narrative, the depicted child is taken to be with God at his throne. He's immediately taken up to be with the Lord. The woman who gave birth to the child escapes from the devil. And the war depicted in Revelation takes place between the birth and the ascension of Jesus. That's where the battle is fought and won. Revelation tells us, Jesus is victorious. That's the message of the book of Revelation, that Jesus is victorious. The victory against Satan was costly for Jesus. And throughout Jesus' time on earth, there were times when Satan attempted to defeat Jesus in order to win the battle. Jesus was wounded and bruised and died on the cross in a great battle against the devil. And though Jesus was bruised, he was not defeated, not even by the cross. And today, the devil wages war through various means against those who follow Jesus. That's also depicted in the book of Revelation. And though at times it may seem that the devil will win, he has already lost. And through Christ's death and resurrection, Satan was defeated. That's the message. And the Holy Spirit was given to those, those who are Christians, for the purpose of empowerment and to embolden us to be overcomers of our adversary, and to reveal the kingdom of God. For those who follow Christ, there's the promise of the new heaven and earth where victory has been secured. In the end, Satan is cast into the lake of fire where he suffers for eternity. But for those who receive and follow Christ, eternal life is the promise. So that's a synopsis of what the storyline is throughout the pages of the book of Revelation. So, 
let's pick this story up from the text that I read to you. A long time ago, in a galaxy far away, a man named John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of his faith in Christ. Patmos is an isolated place about 60 miles southeast of Ephesus where John served as pastor. And uh, they tried to rid themselves, the empire did of John and his influence, so they exiled, as they always did with any insurgent. That's where they would put them uh, if they weren't sentenced to death. And sometimes sentencing to death was not the option because they knew it would cause a greater rebellion. So they stick John on this remote rocky island. And John lived there for a period of years before he returned to Ephesus to return to pastor that church. John lived in the day when the Roman Empire did not want Christians around nor wanted to tolerate them. The cruel emperor, a man named Domitian, fashioned himself to be a god, the supreme leader. Domitian didn't just want allegiance, he wanted worship. And Christians were not about to worship an emperor. And many of them paid a price for their refusal to bow to the emperor. Some were imprisoned, tortured. Many Christians were murdered. John was exiled. He was ripped away from everything familiar and comfortable and normal. Exile is hard enough on a younger person, harder when you're an older guy like John, who's probably now in his early 80s, stooped perhaps a little bit, maybe a little bit gimpy, and made it difficult for him to navigate a rocky island called Patmos. His once strong hands that gripped fishing nets like a vice were probably a little bit sore from some insetting arthritis. His face was weathered by the years and bore some crow's feet at the edges of eyes that still retained a sparkle whenever he spoke about Jesus. And this once son of thunder had mellowed some with age. His mind was still sharp. His devotion to Jesus was as crisp and fresh as it was the day that Jesus called him to leave the fishing business and take up kingdom business. Follow me, Jesus said. And John did. And he'd been following Jesus ever since. And in following Jesus, John was eyewitness to many incredible things. So many, no book could contain them all. But here are a few. John, the experienced seaman, was scared like the rest of the disciples when their boat was being swamped by wind and waves, soaked to their skivvies, shivering and cold. They drop the sail. They're at the mercy of the storm. The boat is bobbing and weaving and rocking and tilting, and the disciples are green at the gills, and they're nauseous and fearful. And drowning is a horrible way to die. And all the while, Jesus is sleeping. The disciples awaken him. Master, don't you care? We're dying here. (laughs) Jesus roused and he stretched and reaching to the edge of the boat, he pulled himself up to his feet, staggered to the boat's bow, working to keep his balance on this storm-tossed vessel. And then holding the forward mast with one hand, Jesus raises the other hand and in a blink, the howling wind becomes a whisper and the choppy waters of all settle down. And the disciples are suddenly more afraid of Jesus than they had been of the storm. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? John was there. John witnessed that. And John was there when Jesus stood outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus, now four days dead. 
Lazarus, get up, Jesus shouted. And Lazarus got up and came out of the grave and with stiff-legged walk of a man wrapped up like a mummy. Unwrap him, Jesus said, and let him go. John saw that with his own eyes. And John saw the cross. He was there right at the foot of the cross. And Jesus even put his own mother into John's care that day. Woman, behold your son. And Jesus said, son, behold your mother. And John watched Jesus die. And at the time, he didn't know quite what to make of this. It's finished, Jesus said, as he takes his last breath. And yes, John thought, it is finished. The dream is finished. Jesus is finished. I'm finished. That happened on a Friday. But come Sunday morning, the event that would change the world exploded into the Roman Empire. And Mary Magdalene gently raps at the door of the disciples' hideout. And the door creaks as it opens just a crack, just enough to reveal the shadowed faces of Peter and John. I have seen the Lord, she said. And stunned by the news, Peter and John race to the tomb to check it out for themselves. And they discover it to be empty, nothing but the burial cloth, still in a cocoon shape where Jesus had resurrected right out of it. And there is, it's in its place, but there's no Jesus. And they still weren't sure what to make of all this until the resurrected Jesus himself shows up in their midst a few hours later. And John saw Jesus die. And John saw the resurrected Jesus. And John saw the risen Jesus a number of times after the resurrection and before the ascension. And John was there to see Jesus ascend into heaven. And to hear Jesus' great commission to his followers to take this gospel to the whole world. Jesus told his followers to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to show up. And John was there when the Holy Spirit came. And John helped lead the way for this brand new church. And it was costly to him and to the followers of Jesus. Because along with Peter... John was dragged before the authorities. He's beaten and he's tossed into jail. And John has his scars. John even watched his brother James die for his faith at the hands of an angry King Herod. John was not surprised by the persecutions and the hardships, nor was he ever defeated by any of them because Jesus had warned these things are going to happen Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And through it all, every twist, every turn, every up, every down, John kept following Jesus, loving Jesus, loving the church, loving his enemies, and an old man John was persecuted once again, and he's exiled to the lonely island of Patmos. Jesus met John on Patmos. In the bowels of a cave where John sought shelter from the elements, God gave John the revelation of Jesus Christ in a sweeping panorama of history from God's point of view. This is how the Father sees it. Because Revelation is a book that depicts 
the greatness of Jesus Christ. The setting of Revelation moves back and forth from earth to heaven, from heaven to earth. It's a story steeped in apocalyptic images of dragons and beasts and harlots and angels and trumpets and seals and bowls of wrath. And God has determined he is going to not just repair, but redeem a broken human race. And the dominant image, the governing image, is this larger-than-life Jesus Christ, listen, standing in the middle of his churches, clothed like a great high priest in a long robe with a golden sash across his chest. His hair is white as the whitest wool, whiter, John says, even than snow. His eyes aflame, his feet like tempered bronze, his voice like the sound of Niagara Falls. In his hand, he holds seven stars. His face was as bright as the high noon sun on a clear summer day. And John is so overwhelmed by the appearance of the living Christ that he falls at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus reaches down with his right hand and helps John back up to his feet. You've got a story to tell the church with all my, all my apostles and all the gospels and the epistles. None has ever been privileged to tell this Christmas story from my perspective. God unfolds revelation before John, who with these weathered hands feverishly is writing down what he is hearing and seeing. And what John saw is first and last a revelation of the large and in charge Jesus Christ. This is no Jesus meek and mild. This is the galactic Christ, the first and the last the living one, the one who was dead but is alive forevermore, the one who holds the keys of death and the grave. This is the Christ who came, who comes, and who is coming again. This is the Christ who is big enough to sustain and rescue a church that is suffering at the hands of an evil empire. This is the Christ who is big enough to sustain a church at war. Jesus' birth is a galactic war story. And Revelation tells a lot of war stories. But even the birth of Jesus is cast here as a war story. This story unfolds not in a spot on a map called Bethlehem, but on a galactic stage in front of the hosts of all of heaven. The war is no local conflict in the cantina between Han Solo and Greedo. This is galactic. This is epic. It's like Skywalker and Vader. This is, there's, there's not an individual named Mary in this story. Instead, the woman who gives birth to a child is a metaphor. She's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head is a crown of 12 stars. The number 12 is, in apocalyptic literature, the number of God's people, the church. And the woman is more than Mary, She's larger than Mary. She's a sign of all God's faithful people across the ages, faithful Israel in the Old Covenant, faithful church in the New Covenant. And instead of the serene and homely language of Luke's Christmas story, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and laid him in a manger, all beautifully told, yes, this woman in John's story is crying out in birth pains, and in the agony of giving birth. 
we don't show up to find a baby already in a manger. John takes us right into the birthing room. It neither sounds or feels very spiritual nor aesthetic. There was no epidural. There is no anesthetic. This is work. This is hard. This is difficult. This is war. Pain and agony and a woman's blood-curdling screams instead of a baby's sigh. There was nothing silent about this night. Instead of humble shepherds who came to greet and worship the newborn baby, and instead of magi from the east who come to worship the child king and bring him expensive gifts, in the Revelation account, there's another sign, a huge, blood-red, seven-headed, ten-horned dragon with crowns on every horn. This is smog from the hobbit to the hundredth power. This is a monstrous, violent, angry, evil dragon with a tail long enough and wide enough to sweep one-third of the angels of heaven and influence them in his attempt to overthrow the kingdom of God. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the devil dragon is hungry. Peter says he comes looking for those. Watch. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And see him there standing before the woman, towering over her her in Revelation 12, casting over her his evil shadow. The woman is now dilated. The crown of the baby's head is starting to show. And with labored breaths and screams, the woman begins to push the baby into the world as the dragon waits, salivating, licking his chops with his long forked tongue, rubbing his dragon wings together. The devil is ready to devour the child the moment the child tumbles out of the womb. This child is no ordinary child. The child is the prophesied child. This is the Messiah, ruler of Psalm 2, the pre-existent word. And the word was with God and was God. And the word dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. This is Christ who was with God from the beginning. God made flesh. God putting on human form. This is the child who is to rule all nations with an iron rod. The child is the mortal enemy of the dragon. And all the evil the dragon represents is culminating now in this moment. And the dragon could not get to him in heaven. But now that the Messiah has come to earth as a helpless, vulnerable baby, put into the care of mere flesh and blood folk like you and me, the dragon sees this as an opportunity to devour the child and to win the war. How can a helpless child and an exhausted woman who's just given birth resist the galactic power of this dragon? And it looks like historically it's lost. But wait, suddenly it says, Revelation 12, 5, the child was caught up to God and to his throne. Before the dragon could put two and two together, the woman escapes into the wilderness where God would take care of her and provide for her for a season until it's time to engage the dragon again. And this is the way John depicts it in the book of Revelation as revealed to him by Jesus himself. And John says to us, we the church, Merry Christmas.
Merry Christmas. This is war. You won't find this Christmas story on a Hallmark card. You will not find it depicted like this. There's nothing sentimental about this story from God's version and perspective because there are no shepherds. There are no magi. There's no Bethlehem. There's no manger. There are no cattle lowing in the background, no precious moments angels singing of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. There's just a screaming pregnant lady at the cusp of birth and a monstrous evil devil dragon and the Messiah child the dragon is committed to destroy. This is war in the galaxy. And the victory against Satan was costly for Jesus because John jumps from birth to ascension. And the apostles now, along with those that were followers of Jesus like Paul, they fill in all the storyline in between. The victory is costly. And you may wonder how this is a war since we don't see a battle depicted in that moment that John is revealing this to us. Well, the hungry dragon waits. The child is born, and then the child is caught up and gone to be with the, the, the father at the throne. Where's the war? It's between the birth and the ascension of Jesus. It's all of your new covenant, your new testament. John doesn't give us the details of the battle. We get those from other books in scripture. But remember, this is revelation. This is apocalypse. This is galactic. This is sweeping literature as God is painting the entire picture of how he's going to redeem the human race from this ugly fallen creature. Revelation cuts to the chase and declares Jesus is the victor. It wasn't as easy as it looks in our story from Revelation because war never is. You don't go from Pearl Harbor to VJ Day without a loss of blood and battles and death in between. You don't get from D-Day to VE Day without the bloodbath on Normandy's beaches and the horrible casualties of the Battle of the Bulge. Jesus didn't get from birth to ascension without battles and bloodshed either. The devil waged war on Jesus from the moment Jesus made his beachhead in Bethlehem. Herod tries to slaughter the child Jesus by running a sword through every crib in Bethlehem. But Herod missed. When Jesus grew up and was baptized by John, the devil tries to tempt Jesus in the wilderness to do things the devil's way rather than the father's way. The devil lost that battle too. There was also the time the devil tried the same ploy by putting words in the mouth of Jesus' own disciple, Peter, who told Jesus that the suffering Savior stuff should never happen to Jesus and would never happen if I, Peter, have anything to say about it. Jesus won that battle too. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter. Then there was Gethsemane. The Alamo of Jesus resolved to finish his mission by dying on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. That was a battle. Jesus is so agitated in such agony that he sweats drops of blood and it takes him three rounds of prayer to steal himself for the suffering and the cross that was just hours away. And Jesus stayed the course and the devil lost again in that battle. There was no easy victory for Jesus. The Roman flogging, flogging that would rip skin from bone, 
left his back and ribs mutilated, the long iron nails driven into his hands and feet that tore through tendons. There was never been a death more slow, excruciating, humiliating, and suffocating as it is a death on a cross. Jesus died on a cross. He died in agony, suffering in his body, suffering under the great load and weight of our sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Jesus cries. The devil couldn't defeat Jesus, and he cannot defeat Jesus' church either. This is not for the devil's lack of trying. The devil harasses and wages war on the church in as many ways as he can. His arsenal includes persecution, like we read about early this morning, Christ-hating governments, Christ-hating religions. The devil can even go after Jesus' people through family members and other close acquaintances. The devil tried to get to Jesus through his own disciple, Peter. The devil has many weapons at his disposal, and he's cunning, and he's relentless, and he comes firing all the time. The devil is a deceiver, a destroyer, a liar, and the father of lies. Sometimes he even works undercover, appearing as an angel of light. And the devil will win some battles as John's other revelation visions play out in history. But here's the good news. The devil will not win the war. The war has already been won. Thank the Lord. The Christmas child grew up, did his work through the cross and through the resurrection, and then was caught up to be with God at his throne. The Christmas child came to destroy the works of the devil, and he did destroy them, and he continues to do so through his church. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Jesus is as present with us today as he was when he walked on earth. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came to us at Christmas. He comes to us through his Holy Spirit. And his revelation reminds us at the end of time, the same Christ is coming back to earth. But things are going to be a little different this time around. This time, he will appear as no helpless, dependent child, but as the God-man that he is. He will not appear quietly in a little town like Bethlehem. He will appear with a trumpet blast and with an angel shout, and every eye shall see him. Jesus will return not through a mother's womb, but on a white stallion. Jesus will return wearing the names of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will return with all the saints and the host of heaven to make visible on earth what's already true in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he will not suffer so much as a hangnail, but those who oppose him will suffer and be destroyed at his righteous judging hand. This time, the devil will not even get a shot off at Jesus. The devil will be thrown into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night forever. What about us? What about God's people? What about the church? 
What will become of us at the end of the war? What will become of the church? Revelation makes the information pretty plain. God has prepared a new heaven and a new earth for us where all things like death and sickness and suffering and evil pass away and God makes all things new. Thank the Lord. Thank God. New. No more war. The weapons of war are beaten into plowshares. And eternal peace. And of his kingdom and peace, there shall be no end. You know what becomes of all God's people? His church. Who have fought through the battles, the setbacks, and the victories. You know what happens to the church, don't you? It's the way every good war story should end. All God's people live in the glory of his victory forever and ever. And here's how John sums it all up. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Then John passes this wonderful story to us in his concluding remarks where he describes Jesus in all of his splendor and glory and victory. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. And the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. I can't wait for mine. I can't. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And if you're thankful for that Christmas story, jump to your feet and celebrate the victory of Jesus coming into our world. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.